Hi, I'm Suraj Partha. Welcome to Art in All Its Forms. Thanks so much for listening. So first of all, I wanted to say we're back. Uh, I know Art and Alts Forums has taken a break for the last month or so. And uh, I wanted to thank you so much for tuning in again and to say that we're going to have episodes now going all the way till the end of the year. Um, I wanted to quickly explain why we've taken a break. Uh, so this podcast has been essentially just me and my girlfriend, Mora, who's been helping me with the social media. Um, but I've been doing everything from scheduling the interviews, um, pitching guests so I can get really, really interesting and unique people to come speak, um, doing the obvious, obviously the interview, the research, the editing, the distribution. So needless to say, this is quite the endeavor for me. And, you know, to be honest, after doing six episodes, I was pretty burnt out. And I think this is something that artists don't talk about enough, how difficult it is to keep up with today's media landscape. And being able to stay consistent with any project week after week after week and releasing these things, it's really more difficult uh, than I think people expect. Uh, and it's more difficult than I thought it would be. So anyways, you know, it took me some time to figure out a framework in which I could continue to work on the other things I want to work on, like my auditioning as an actor or my music writing. Um, it took me a while to figure out how I'd be able to do those things and keep the podcast going in a way that worked for me. And I think I've done that now. And boy, do I have some great interviews coming up now. Um, but anyways, I wanted to thank you so much for your support and for listening. And uh, here's the episode. All right, today I'm speaking with Luke Woodle. Luke Woodle is a drummer and member of the Los Angeles-based band Cab Ellis. Growing up in Seattle, Washington, Luke moved to LA to study jazz drum set with Peter Erskine at the University of Southern California's Thornton School of Music. After finishing his bachelor's degree, he is currently continuing his studies there as a master student and teacher's assistant. He has played with various USC ensembles, including the Thornton Jazz Orchestra. He has played with Lewis Cole of Knower and Sullivan Fortner. His band, Cab Ellis, was a finalist in NPR's 2019 Tiny Desk Contest, and they just released their debut album entitled Nighttime OCD earlier this year.
Luke, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming and talking with me. Of course. My pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. So just so all of you listeners know, Luke and I know each other from USC, uh, and we both studied jazz drum set there at the exact same time. So we were both in the same year. But uh, how are you doing with all this coronavirus situation, and how has that impacted your master's degree or your studies there? Um, it's been all right. We I've been teaching online, which is totally fine. Um I think the content with teaching online is there. I The way I think about it is that the content is still there, but the vibe has been killed. So in terms of like any like interaction, it's been a little bit, you know, a little so-so. But school online, I mean, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's got to um, be pretty tough with music in general. I mean, I'm also teaching drums, you know, to, to younger kids than, you know, college kids. And that is painful sometimes because you know it's really hard to to keep a child's attention when they're having to like do everything through the screen and through this microphone and uh, you know a portion of our lesson has to be can you turn the camera down <laughs> so I can see what you're doing and so I can only imagine what a vibe killer it's got to be at the college level yeah I mean I don't think the college level kids are any more equipped to do it than like the little five-year-olds they're probably worse honestly your students are probably at least more respectful there's no there's no respect there's no boundaries of respect when you're online it's anything goes <laughs> but it's been cool it's, it's i mean it's been it's still been really fun to get to share uh with the new zoom platform just because you now it's a lot more discussion based and i found that people are a lot more like willing to engage in like listening since that's kind of what you can do over the internet. Right. So a lot of what we've been doing is just listening and watching videos, which is how I think musicians end up getting a lot of homework done anyways, listening to the audio. And then now with YouTube, right. Just combing through YouTube and checking out all the different videos. Yeah, 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 for sure. There's, it's amazing. Like how much YouTube has become a resource in terms of finding old, like archival footage of, you know, mm -hmm. our favorite drummers, you know, from the, different years of jazz and, and even the pop mm -hmm. stuff, you know, finding exactly what they're playing on the drums. It's, you can do it through the listening of the records and you can, once you've studied it enough, you can kind of figure out, okay, this is what they're doing with their hands and whatnot. But it's also a lot easier when you have a, you know, a camera on it and you can just literally see what they're doing with their hands. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your jazz, like pedigree, I guess, even in high school. So you went to Roosevelt High School in Seattle, which is arguably like one of the premier high schools in the country for jazz. I mean, I know Roosevelt, you've talked about this, you know, they were often invited to play at the essentially Ellington Festival, which is a really prestigious high school jazz festival, which is that at Lincoln Center in New York? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you played at Lincoln Center. You know, what yep. was it like going to that school? I mean, how do you feel it shaped you as a drummer and a musician? Uh, I loved going to that school. I'm I'm like a weird neo-traditionalist, so I really believe in whatever you're going to do, right? Start with the basics, go back, start square one. Um, and at that high school, the, the band director, Scott Brown, he's very into, in terms of jazz, he's into Count Basie, uh, Duke Ellington, uh, Jimmy Lunceford, Billy Eckstein, people like that, that were kind of like the foundations, I guess, of big band music. So that was a really good place to begin for me. Um, and additionally, not just playing those older styles of jazz music, but we actually played, you know, Maria Schneider's music. 
we would play Bill Holman's music, a lot of like newer composers. So I think that that place was really good in part because I was learning the old and also, you know, using that and applying it to the new. Um, and at the same time, I think there, and especially in Seattle, just in the music education scene in Seattle, the the vibe is very much like teaching people to appreciate the old so that they can do something with that in the new, if that makes sense. So not only was I learning how to do it, but I was also learning the importance of it and kind of my own take on that and why I feel like I should, you know, carry that legacy of, uh, you know, that, that school of thought, that training, you know, starting with the old and taking that to the new. So yeah, it was great. I mean, we played in New York. I went there three times. I think, I think it's Rose Hall, but it's, it's like where the jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra plays. So, <laughs> you know, I'm sweating bullets. I've played up there a few times, just every time. Yeah. Rose, the- it was Rose Theater. Yeah. Yeah, Rose Theater. You know, every time you step into Rose Theater, your stomach drops and you feel like you're about to poop yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, sitting on the drums, literally. Like, there's like, it's huge. You've got Wynton Marsalis, Jeff Hamilton, all these people, you know, they rotate in and out. But it was cool to be in a setting like that where it was like really high stakes, really amazing musicians from all over the country playing. 15 bands, I guess it was. Um, and then, you know, feeling... I almost I mean I know the the idea of a, a a music competition isn't quite realistic maybe but I think the idea of high stakes scenarios and high pressure scenarios is real as you know from acting and music right sure you yeah. end up getting in those situations and you very quickly <laughs> have to learn how to just chill yourself out so being in those situations yeah is like is is very useful down the line because it gets more there's more pressure down the line when you're you know your literal job depends on it if it's a really important audition or whatever you know that's way more important than a, a competition you know high school jazz competition so just just getting that kind of you're getting your foot into the door of of what it means to play in a high stakes situation is really useful i think yeah no doubt i mean and i think what i've learned more and more is that n- there's very little you can do to prepare for those situations than to be in those situations as many times as you can before it really, really counts, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, totally. so I I talk about this sometimes that I remember when I, like, had to do, you know, the early film and TV stuff, like, for the first time, and you're on a set that is a lot of money, and you're wearing costumes that are, you know, worth a lot of money, and the director comes to you and says, all right, listen, we have 20 minutes to get this thing done. If we don't, we are screwed. Be on your A game. Like, I don't have any more money, like, to shoot this. So this is all we've got, you know, is this time mm-hmm. allotted for this. And you have to be ready to, to do it. And the only way is to have, whether it's a student film situation or it's, you know, uh, some other TV thing you've done or anything else that you can grab onto from your past experience, then you have to use it then because that's all you have. Because I, I wanted to connect this back to, you know, like, studying at USC with Peter Erskine. Um, who he's a legend and we both had like the really amazing and lucky opportunity to study with him. And I'm just wondering, you know, what are some of the important lessons you learned as a drummer from him or from your time at SC so far? Um, well from Peter, I mean, that's where I got a lot of what I do now is definitely from Peter conceptually. I mean, he put so many 
great ideas into my head. The way he hears music is on a completely, you know, different level. So um, one of the big things, I guess, you know, studying with him was how to listen to music. We as musicians, I mean, we obviously listen to music for entertainment and for, for our own pleasure. But one of the things that he showed me was listening to music and, and thinking, why, what makes this tick? Why do I like this? Or maybe why don't I like this, right? And I think that's a huge, huge deal for musicians, you know, when we have to filter out thousands and thousands of songs like we hear, you know, every single day now with Spotify and whatnot. I know he likes to use the term uh, kinetic energy when we're talking about drumming, that's kind of exciting, right? So maybe like Buddy Rich or Elvin Jones or uh, Bernard Purdy, right? There's this, there's this like really visceral feeling um, that comes. I mean, if you want to get really into the weeds of it, you know how how you're moving your body and how quickly you're you're attacking things or 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 not, right? Right. And it's things like that that really put into terms how to achieve a certain sound that you're going for, right? So I think that's one of the, the key things when we're listening to music is like, how do we recreate it? We know we like it, but really, really listening critically and being like, okay, what is so special about that? Because we all talk about the magic, you know, the, there's magic in, you know, Billie Jean, right? But like, what is that magic? And if you can, if you can articulate that, you're sure as hell that much closer to being able to replicate it yourself. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Not only replicating it, but using it yourself in a new way that only you could do. Yeah. I mean, we talk about this with acting, I think sometimes, which is like having an opinion. Like, okay, like you, you, you see some script material and, you know, if you're auditioning for it, you know, sometimes you like it, sometimes you don't like it for sure. But, you know, as a character, like you have to have an opinion. Like, okay, this is what I'm trying to get out of this scene you know, this is what my character wants to achieve. This, these are the obstacles to that achievement. And, you know, what are the techniques as an actor with my own body and my voice? What am I going to use to try and articulate what this person is feeling? And how am I going to make that interesting to watch, you know, from the camera's perspective or from the audience's perspective? And it, I agree. It's like the same thing with drumming. You have to figure out what the hell is going on first. And you got to say, okay, like this is... This is laying back behind the beat. Like, this is where the bass player is playing. This is where the drummer is playing. That's what makes this interesting to listen to. And that's what I have to try to emulate when I'm playing. I can't just play this on the metronome exactly. I got to think about laying back in these ways. And there's, you know, thousands of these examples for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, I think, yeah, what you're talking about is like, to me, when I hear you say that, I think of, you know, developing your ear as a musician. But right. as an actor, what you've made me think of is it's the same exact thing. You listen for, you know, you're watching your favorite show and you listen for cadence. You listen for intonation. Yep. You listen for the highs and the lows, right? Mm -hmm. All those different things along with training your eye so that you have a critical eye to, you know, you're sensitive to all the body movements and how a really great actor can be in control of their own body. Yeah. It's the same. It's literally all the exact things, you know, specific to music, especially with drumming. How you look often is how you're going to play. So people that have a certain posture and a certain grip, that very much comes through their playing so that I could listen to a drummer and before I ever knew what they looked like, I would know I could get a sense of their grip, maybe their posture, 
their overall just vibe just from their sound, right? So this developing that critical eye or that critical ear so that you're, you know, sensitive to all those different things. That's totally, totally, totally like a, a key part that I think doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing, one of the things that, and this is like a personification of the drums I've thought about a lot. And I may have mentioned this in an earlier podcast also, which is how much Peter and our other teacher, Aron Serfati, actually all of our teachers, you know, uh, in, in Dugu Chancellor as well. Um, and Will Kennedy, all the teachers that we've had a chance to study drums with, they talk about the drums speaking. Like, how do we make the drums speak? How do we make the cymbals speak? And like, we kind of just let, let it go. And then you're kind of thinking, wait a minute, like we're talking about drums speaking and the fact that we can actually change this based on how we hit it. When you talk to people who haven't gone through some of that like study or people who are non-drummers, you kind of just think, okay, the stick is hitting the head. It produces a sound. But the reality is like there's so much depth, even the way you hit it, the velocity at which you hit it, the grip with which you hit it, and it changes how you hear it, which is really almost counterintuitive because it seems like it's just wood hitting plastic or wood hitting, you know, cowhide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, originally it was like a spiritual religious instrument, like way mm. back, right? Before right. the drum set was everything. It was made to be part of like the human spirit. Mm. So being able to make a drum speak is essentially being able to make it mimic and interact with the human voice so that it's just one sound, right? It's one cohesive sound of both voice and drums. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. Getting, getting the details of how, you know, I mean, it's tough. It's hard. Like people spend their whole lives trying to figure it out. How do I get it to be emotional? How do I get this one drum to be emotional? You know, I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? With music is, emoting yeah yeah no and, it's tough though yeah and and as much as we do talk about it sometimes we don't spend enough time talking about it because we are into the other elements of what it takes to have a music career in the 21st yeah. century you know and we mm -hmm. lose out on those elements i was just thinking recently to like a class that i took at cal arts for this summer camp where we played like west african uh like drumming from ghana yeah. and those are some of the most fun times you have, like playing the drums and dancing because you're just doing it to do it because it's culture, because it's human. It's not about, you know, things like, I don't know, <laughs> like, a, like it, 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 it kind of is beyond this idea of like having a music career and like going to school to be a professional, whatever that means, you know, totally. So. No essays involved with that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. That's the motto. No essays involved. No essays, man. <laughs> yeah. Just getting that. I mean, that's one thing that I feel like we get lost in either playing jazz or maybe classical. I think we get lost like playing without fun. And I do the same thing. Like I'm, you know, I'm pointing the finger at myself too, but doing for, for whatever reason, playing in a situation like that or just playing with like a cover band for some reason all, all, automatically we just go into this mode of just having more fun but really all the different types of music should be that free like that freedom that you're talking about we should we should encapsulate that with whatever we're doing yeah absolutely it's tough though because you start to think about all these things that you've learned and then is it right or wrong and then you think about the essay that you got to write on that damn show <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little later, if you're in the music education world or in school. Yeah, 
For sure. Well, I mean, speaking of things that are not music education, I mean, let's talk a little bit about, about Cab Ellis. Sure. <laughs> so things that are, I mean, it, it did come out of SC a little bit, though, because a lot of the members sort of came out of SC. Um, but, you know, I've had like this unique opportunity, I feel like, to see the band form from basically around its inception to kind of where it is now. And like I've seen all the different iterations of the band, whether it be the members or also just how the band has grown. So why don't you just give me like the short version of how the band started, like when it started and who's responsible? Um, I, I guess it started, I, I, I never really know. I, I have a <laughs> terrible memory for certain things and this is one of those things I have a terrible memory for, but it, I, I guess it was about two, two years ago now. Um, we all started kind of at SC just in a practice room. Um, so how did you, how did you meet Connor though? Cause Connor came from Boston, from East Coast. Right? Yeah, from the East Coast. Yeah, from Boston, yep. Yeah. And he linked up through this trumpet player, Fernando Ferrone. He linked up with him since they were both out in Boston. He linked up with Matt through Fernando. That's uh, Matt Richards, yeah, who's the saxophone player in your band, yep. And then uh, I came around, and I think it was, we got together, the three of us, we just jammed. I, I specifically remember jamming i won't say what else we were doing but we were jamming in a place where we weren't supposed to be doing this other stuff and we were doing that other stuff Mm -hmm. um and basically what we did was just kind of took some really basic ideas of some songs that have been that had been you know early stages right just barely conceived and then we just started trying out ideas essentially and um jamming on them and just you know vibing I mean, that's what it's about, really, when you're playing music, right? Vibing with another person and trying to figure out, you know, what is the best thing for this song. And as soon as you find out whatever the best thing for the song is, everyone's, you know, light bulbs kind of go off. So it was a, it was a lot of that going on. Like, we were just trying stuff. And for the like the very first thing we would play, it'd be like, oh, man, that's it. And that's essentially a lot of the stuff that we've kept on um, that ended up getting recorded just recently. Yeah, so how so Connor had come to you guys with he had written stuff I know before, and some of the songs that you guys I don't know if they're the ones you've recorded, but I know the ones that you've played early on were his compositions that then or his songs that you know you guys sort of adapted to this like new instrumentation of like you playing the drums, Matt playing saxophone, and then having like a bassist and a guitarist. So then where did that shift into you guys sort of starting to write? and write actively for the band as like Cab Ellis as it is now. Right. Um, I mean, that pretty much happened right away. Hmm. That was kind of, that's kind of been the the through line through like the, the progression of the band, I guess, is that it, we've been doing that since the beginning. We all try something together as a unit and then um, people give their inputs as to what they don't like about their own stuff or what they do like. And then also, you know, about the other players. So it's definitely a free form thing in terms of like, anyone can tell me what they don't like about the drums or what they, or what they do like and what we could do better. All those things, just the same way that I could say that about, um, anyone else's playing. So it's very much like an open dialogue, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now I think that you guys have a a really great rehearsal etiquette in terms of being open enough to talk about each other's uh, playing without it getting personal because you all trust each other as a band to know like, okay, everyone knows what, what we all know what we're doing here and what we're trying to achieve. We just, we don't always have the idea at that moment of what it needs to be. And someone else might have that idea. For me, playing music is very much about interacting with other people. 
so what you're talking about is like this teamwork aspect right and that's something like going back to Roosevelt or like even my middle school, like you quickly learn when you're playing music that it's very much a team effort. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have 18 people, especially playing music at one time, it's seriously a team effort and everyone has to be aware of everyone else. Right. That, that idea of working with five people regularly all the time going through this stuff. Yeah. You do build confidence and trust in each other to the point where, you know, you, f- you really feel like when you're playing, it's just part of this one sound as opposed to like, you know, me being too worried about what I'm doing and how it's affecting everyone else. I just trust that whatever I'm going to play is going to work for everybody else the same way that everyone else does for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you guys, I know you performed, I mean, you were playing all over LA at different places um, and at SC at house parties and stuff like that. I mean, wherever you could pretty much perform, you guys were there. And then you applied to the NPR Tiny Desk Contest, and you became a finalist. So then you performed. Was it at the Fonda Theater? No, it was at the Lodge Room. It was at the Lodge Room. How was that, though? What was that performance like? What did it feel like to be recognized kind of in this, like, national level for this thing? It was kind of – it was really cool to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, it was it was dope. <laughs> I will never forget walking in there. I, we got there pretty early. Uh, probably around five and then the show was at nine. So we, we pretty much had like a whole hang before the show and whatnot, but it was cool. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a fairly large place to play a fairly large venue. And I, the funny thing about that show is that we were super prepared. I had just, I, well, I was in South Carolina, so I had to buy a plane ticket back, you know, cut the trip short and come back like half a week earlier. So four days early rest in peace my wallet for that buying a, a last minute ticket but I, yeah I, I came in the night before and then what we played later that night and I remember we were we were pretty prepared at that point even though we weren't we didn't think we had won because we had just thought there was one winner you know if we want to use that term um so when they announced the winner we were like oh, okay so it's it's over and then we got an email a little later saying we they wanted to do a, a show in LA and we played and after all this preparation and all the hype and all like, you know, we're, we're so ready to go. <laughs> I remember we played and every song was so fast. And this is partially on me, partially on everybody else in the band. But we were we were just gunning. We were ready to gun it. So <laughs> I remember listening back to it and being like, oh, my God, this sounds like we're playing like a polka beat. Just like the fastest, you know. R- reminded me of the police but not as good <laughs> well i mean they the sped through live. so many live things like <laughs> they did some of those like neck if you're next to you on some of those live of recordings course, yeah. it's so freaking fast it's absurd <laughs> honestly it's it's fast and it's good and our thing was it's fast and it's not so good <laughs> so we listened back to it and i was like oh my god never again but that was actually a really a really good show for us because going back to playing in like pressure situations you've got this guy Bob Boylan, who who's the creator of the Tiny Desk, he was there, and his whole team was there, um, and they're all in this, and they're all really nice. Raul Campos, um, the the DJ for uh, one of the radio, one of the big radio stations in LA, he was there. He introduced us. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Hung out with him. Um, but just you know, being in that environment, you really get 
you know, you start to feel like you've just drank five cups of coffee. Yeah, there's a tunnel vision. That, there's a tunnel vision that develops too. I think when you're in mm-hmm. that mode, it like yep. And like for better or for worse, you're you can't see what's on the peripheral. I don't know how else to explain it other than you like when you're in it, you're in it, and then you come out. And if you watch a video or like an audio tape of what you did. I mean, it could be like, wow, this was really great. I don't remember any of this. Or it can be, wow, this was really bad. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> like, Yeah, we had that. I, I, I guess I say that when we played, it was really fast. And looking back on it, it was a little bit much, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, I also remember really digging the stuff we were playing. Because at the end of the day, when you're playing, it's all about the energy and the emotion that you're putting into it. And that was 100% there. There was also just this added element of, like pure excitement and like cocaine but not actually cocaine you know just right mental cocaine yeah, yeah, yeah so we were like what we played was i really enjoyed listening back to what we played and i think we put on a really really good show yeah it's just everything was fast and it had this i guess kind of like a punk thing which is ends up being a little bit of what we do anyway so it kind of worked out yeah i mean well, i was gonna say you know i cab's music is like it's hard for me to describe when someone had people have asked me about it it's like indie rock there's definitely some pop elements there's some punk elements to it it sounds new in its production like in the production value that you get but it's also like kind of a throwback in terms of its songwriting and like the instrumentation and it's also tough because i know all of you a lot of the band members personally and like i've talked with you guys a lot and i went to school with you and so i know your influences can be like anything from dexter gordon to the police to maggie (laughs) rogers like i could literally i was talking with matt richards who's your saxophone player you know, a couple of months back and he was talking about how much he loves Maggie Rogers and what a big influence that is. And at the same mm-hmm. time we were talking about like within an hour, we talked about one of those, a Branford Marsalis solo records where he's just playing saxophone in like a cathedral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's really hard then for me to explain what your sound is because it's so, and I say this as a big compliment, like it's very singular. It's very unique. I don't hear things like that very often so why don't you how do you go about explaining the sound hmm. or do you i guess is the other question <laughs> the, we we don't we i mean we definitely don't we just kind of do it i think a big part of it comes from being a student of i know this is corny but a student of life so whatever we're into gets put into the music right whether it's basketball or poetry or fly fishing right there's like whatever whatever anyone's into at that moment is like in in this in the stuff that we play and i i feel like other bands too will say like i shouldn't say this but i will anyways that i feel like sometimes (laughs) (laughs) i feel like sometimes people mention musical influences and you're kind of like yeah really though like are you really influenced by that or are you Mm -hmm. just saying that because it has nice street cred but mm-hmm. then I know, like, for a fact, I know, like, if if you tell me, like, I was inspired by this line from this one Wayne Shorter thing that he did while he was in Mile Second Quintet, I know that's true because I, mm-hmm. we can listen to it and you can show me and I'll be like, okay, no, you're right. That is influenced yeah. by that. The proof is in the pudding. Totally. Right. And so um, I don't even know where I was going with that other than just it is very eclectic <laughs> and imagery comes from everywhere for you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I enjoy that's. For me, I'm I'm very proud to be in a band that has an eclectic sound because I I like a lot of different stuff. I was going to ask, 
how or if you felt that you've needed to compromise the sound in any way for the sake of accessibility. I mean, something I think about a lot in terms of, okay, like you guys have a lot of eclectic tastes and there's a lot of places you could go with that. And how do you, I guess, balance this idea of like, I can go here and I can play this, but this is what whatever it is needs. This is what the song needs. You know, this is what Connor came in with. This is what Matt came in with. This is what I have to do to service that. How do you go about dealing with that? Or sometimes it might even just be a like a business proposition. We need a freaking single on this record. <laughs> what is that going to be? You know? Um, I'm probably... <laughs> I mean, this isn't this isn't a bad thing. I I might be the most you know commercial out of anyone in the band in terms of like you know how do we get this thing to get get people's attention? I guess especially like with the first album, we're in the early stages. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it, I I would definitely say that it's a completely honest album in terms of we're not there's no gimmicks on it for sure. It, it, we spent a lot of time thinking about every single thing that would happen you know, pre, pre recording and then post as well. And it's a really, really honest record, pretty, pretty emotional, you know, it's a soulful, honest piece that we just put together that wasn't made for anything other than our own creative satisfaction, I guess. Yeah, I, I've seen you guys perform this music from basically the beginning. And I know that like what has changed has been like the execution and, you know, I've seen like the band come together in a way that maybe it wasn't together two years earlier, but at the same time, I know as a fact, like I've seen the songs from when they were originally performed and you guys really stuck true to that, which I think is really, really nice to hear on the record. And Connor goes way in on the vocals all the time. It's something actually that I really admire about him is that he is like a hundred at those rehearsals at your guys' practices, even if it's like a house show with like 10 people there, he is all in all the time. And that is a really admirable quality in, you know, a singer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's we're He's definitely not singing for anybody, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, he's doing it because he has to. The same way the band we play because we have to. That's one of the first things I noticed as well. It's the commitment to the music that he's got is, is really amazing to watch and fun to, you know, feed off of as well. Mm -hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit about how, as a band, you have to think about the logistics or how you, you know, go about booking places, performing. I know I've talked to you guys about having to save up money to record the record, having to, you know, get whatever you can from the shows, if it's $100, $200, and like putting it into a fund so that you can record. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you think about that, how you organize that? Uh, it takes a lot of time for us, at least, you know, playing bar gigs and saving up money from that. Luckily, I guess in LA, there's actually a fair amount of gigs that pay pretty well. If you, if you devote all the money into one band account, which is what we do. Um, so it took a long time. We ended up spending not a lot for the, I think for the quality of the music, it it wasn't too much. We only spent like, I want to say six seven thousand dollars for the two recording sessions uh and everything else that was kind of everything we had been rehearsing and saving for was definitely for the album and then once we did the album that was like you know that was the sweet release that we finally got um 
and it, it, I guess additionally, aside from like the recording and the playing, yeah, the, all the marketing and whatnot, that's all self done. It's fun. I hate it, but it's fun. Um, <laughs> but just getting to do, you know, social media, you know, emailing, you know, whoever we can. I mean, it's definitely, I, I call it a dirty, dirty grind or a dirty hustle. You know what I mean? It's not really fun. And uh, most times you really get probably nothing from it. You know what I mean? But it's, you know, here and there, you know, when you do get, you know, something back for it, those are the things that really matter and that add up. So the few, I guess, connections that we have have been really helpful. Uh, we've had some, obviously, some really good support along the way from from some hardcore fans and a couple parents and also just, you know, people in L.A. that are in the music industry. They've all helped. But it's definitely day in and day out we're meeting up and working together. Like, we, we get on Zoom calls and talk about new ideas for merch or we talk about new ideas for promoting a show. It's like a constant, constant dialogue of, like, what else can we do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I would point to as being really important in starting, like, a new band is consistency. I mean, you guys have been consistent from the get-go in terms of releasing music to 10 people, to your friends, to whoever it may be, you know, with obviously the hope that it goes somewhere else and it, and it leads to bigger and better things. But at the same time, in the present, you have to just do it because you're doing it, and that's why. And so there's like a level of consistency that you have to develop with all of that social media marketing and like the merchandising and, you know, having like, if you have super fans or you have fans who are starting a fan club or whatever that might, might be, you know, they're going to, they're going to be looking for new content, new things to be excited about. I know you guys have done like a couple of sort of films or music videos, which I really, really like. And they're a lot of fun to see because I know you guys. And so that's always fun. Um, and you guys did a music video for which which tune was it again? Uh, the most recent one was Roaring Twenties. Oh yeah, it was Roaring Twenties. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that so, th those are the kind of things that are fun to do. You know, music videos. I mean, still, it's a, on the video. It looks like it's a lot of fun, and it is a lot of fun. But it's also a lot of you know, rain, and you know, because you 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 act. It's a lot of right. I, if you're in the band doing the music video, since it's all DIY. And with the help of some of our very talented friends in the cinematic world, uh, the film world, um, it's very much like we have to be in the video and at the same time, like literally directing all these people on like what to do. So it's it's a lot of work, but those those are the kind of things that I I don't mind doing. It's the other stuff that I just I dread. Yeah, I mean, there it is always fun when you. When you care about something enough, it starts becoming fun. It's almost like you start convinced. I don't know. This is how I feel about movies, too, is that the whole process of making a film, in a weird way, is just kind of contrived, and it's a little ridiculous. Like, when you really get down to the nitty-gritty of it, it's like sometimes I fly to a place that isn't home to basically sit in a trailer for the majority of the day. And then the rest of the day is the time when I get to act in front of a bunch of cameras and lights. And none of it is really real. I mean, I might even be walking down a hallway at a school and it looks like I was walking down the hallway. And often, you know, more often than not, I was walking like with a bunch of tape telling me where to walk with a bunch of lights. And, and I couldn't look half the places because if I look here, I'm going to get blinded. If I look here, I'm looking into the camera. The whole thing is contrived. But you we start to convince ourselves that 
we enjoy it and then we do <laughs> i don't know how else to explain yeah, it, it like because totally. we love it we love the art of it so much yeah. right and so then you're like making the music video and it's like god this is a pain in the ass but this is so much fun <laughs> you know i'm not gonna really get into the specifics but i you know i was on a production um the small production at some point in the last couple of years and I remember, you know, how much social media advertising they were trying to do for that particular project. And, you know, just even if it was like to their friends or whatever. And at the same time, I was kind of feeling like, wait a minute, like we're making the movie right now. Like it's only so much time we can devote while we're making the movie to doing the marketing because otherwise we're not going to have a good movie at the end of this. <laughs> right. And so like I, yeah. there's like that balance between being like an artist proper and being like an artist of the times. You know, having to like really get into the nitty gritty of this is what our sound is. And you guys at Cab do this, you know, very religiously, which is like, what is our sound? Does this represent that? You know, what can we do in the song to make it, I don't know, work better, whatever that means. But at the same time, like there's this very practical element of we're a band. We want to function. We want to, you know, have more listeners than we had last year. And we want to try and like, you know, find success, whatever that that is so how do you think do you think about this balance at all or it just kind of happens naturally for you guys uh it's a little bit of both it, i guess it depends day to day situation to situation but generally we're more focused on the music nowadays i guess which is since everyone's at home we're definitely completely focused on the marketing i guess mm -hmm. for lack of better and we're not really marketing but just you know self-promotion online whatnot yeah um, I mean, it's definitely the kind of stuff that we, we understand we have to do because it's not like, you know, we're not going into work every day and have a boss telling us, okay, this is what you have to get done today. It kind of, it just in general, like in art, I guess it comes down to you and you are your own boss and you're your own, you know, Kickstarter, uh, and you have to do these things for yourself and no one, no one will tell you you know, that you need to do these things. There's just things that you have to learn to do yourself. And I guess you just have to have that understanding of the work ethic that's involved when you're doing your own projects. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a interesting and also a difficult like landscape to navigate, I guess. I, I've always been a proponent of this idea of artists as entrepreneurs of like having to kind of go like you're forming your own business essentially. And that's what you're doing if you're a professional. Like you have to do your own taxes, you have to buy your own healthcare. If you're not a student, you have to basically like run your own business and and find a way to make the finances work out so you can pay rent. But at the same time, that can also be a poor analogy because I feel like being an artist, being a musician, the you know, we talking about like the cultural aspect of it, it, it goes way deeper than just that. And I I have nothing to say, and I, I, I leave that to you with whatever you whatever you have to say about that. I don't know. Well, I 100% agree. I think when, especially if you're doing, if you're starting your own band, if you're acting, if you're doing whatever, all these kind of art forms are very people-heavy, and they're very, like, social, I guess, forms of business, if you want to think of it like that. So the, the relationships you make are going to be the things that end up, you know, doing you the biggest the biggest favor so as you're you know checking off all the boxes of your tasks within the assignment that is you know i'm recording drums on someone someone random's record right it's very much about being a team player being able to work with everybody there and also hopefully establishing connections that 
you know, maybe with the engineer that'll take you somewhere else. And I mean, just people that you would never expect doing things that you could never foresee, I guess. And then you do the same things for those people, right? It's like, I get, I mean, the story of when I, of when we added, uh, Johnny Sim and, uh, Nick Petro in the band was from a wedding gig that I played with those two, uh, in San Diego with this, with a couple other people. Um, most notably, I guess this guy, Jedge, who is on, uh, the voice last year he did really well and a couple of other really good uh usc musicians and me johnny and nick had such a good connection both playing and then also in between you know the sets because it was like a whole day out there it was it was it was a fun time but you know after playing the 10th bruno mars song we're like damn okay (laughs) can we talk (laughs) about something that doesn't sound like bruno mars or you know that kind of thing I, I proposed the idea of bringing them into the band because we had that really good connection, both musically and personally. So I think for anyone that's doing something in the field of music or acting or whatever, you know, that's very, very heavy emphasis on um, the relationships that you have and develop. Getting to meet musicians and be friends with musicians is a dope time. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And I think in general, being friends with artists, artists are some of the most fun friends you can have because... The way they look at the world is so unique. I love it. And I think, I, like, you're talking about the hang, right? And yeah, the part of the reason that the cab band plays well together is because we're all friends. Just like any other, whether or not you hear stories about people, you know, hating each other or whatever. I, I think there's always the through line of some sort of, like, strong relationship or connection between the people that are working together. I'm sure it's the same on, on a movie set, right? If you're filming a movie, you... you people get cast together because they work well together. Uh, anyways, I wanted to know, you know, what's next for cab, given the fact that, you know, you guys are in a unique situation at like with the rest of us, I guess. Um, we're doing an album release show as soon as we can, I guess. So that'll be 2021 sometime. Um, so we're going to, we're going to have an album release show. We're going to put out some merch that's correlated with the album. One of the big goals, I guess, this summer is since, I mean, aside from us working on our own thing and, you know, promoting and doing that daily, you know, dirty hustle, the dirty grind that we've been doing. Um, we've been talking about getting into some, I guess, advocacy or charity work. I mean, it's obviously very small scale with what we're working with right now. But I mean, I, myself for sure, like my dad was a big, like we always did that when I was like younger, we used to play at this car wash and we used to, uh, wash cars with, uh, I think what the term was, was like at risk use, which was like basically young homeless people. And we did that for like two or three years straight a lot. And that was really good. You know, not just for me to learn, you know, gain a little bit of perspective and feel some sympathy and empathy for some people um, and develop some relationships and some skills there. But also that was a really big, big part of my musical upbringing too, playing every day in those kind of situations. So um, just my background in that. And I know a couple of the other guys as well um, have done stuff like that as well. So hopefully we can be doing, you know, helping people, however we can just because I think the timing is right to be helping people who need help because we're you know we're safe at home but there's I know there's a lot of people that are you know sick or they're working with sick people or just people having a hard time right now 
if it's not easy for someone living, you know, in a comfy apartment, it's, I'm sure it's 10, at least 10 to a hundred times harder for someone just out on the street. So we're going to be hopefully doing a lot of that, which I'm really excited about. That'll be new for the band. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to seeing you guys when your platform is, is even bigger than it is right now. So <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm super excited, man. I'm super excited to see what the future of Cab holds. And uh, it was really, really nice to talk to you, as always. So I appreciate you coming on, Luke. And uh, where can people find you? I know that you have Instagram and stuff. Yeah, Instagram is my name, Luke Woodle. And then for the band, if anyone out there is interested in the band, it's Cab ellis band all right luke yeah good talking we'll talk soon cool thanks man in lieu of our traditional outro music i'm going to play another track from cab ellis's debut record nighttime ocd i just can't get enough of this band and uh, you can subscribe to Art in All Its Forms wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram, Art in All Its Forms Pod. That's Art in All Its Forms Pod. Um, a new website to come very, very soon. And uh, Luke and the, the rest of the guys, take it away. So we can stand upright. I don't want bad health to place any more space in between you and me that we don't need. So my fault when you've been taking the blame. Bad health. I was eyes all bloodshot Car crash in the garage Something like a gunshot Woman in my bed Who I ain't got no feelings for And a candle burner on the ground Could've burned a house down 